It's the Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences. This is Project Audio, transcribed live with voices from Hollywood to Florida and even Peoria, Illinois, where Paul RBC is standing by. Welcome to Project Audio. This month, we have the honor of celebrating the life and times of Fibber McGee and Molly. Fibber McGee and Molly started off life as Jim Jordan and Marion Driscoll, and they started it here in Peoria, Illinois. 1915 Christmas Choir Practice. Jim meets the love of his life, Marion Driscoll. He considers her a cute, blue-eyed, brown-haired, slightly freckled coal miner's daughter. Unfortunately, he doesn't have enough nerve up yet to ask her out or to even ask her if he can walk her home, so he had to have his friend introduce him. After a while, they met, they fell in love, they decided to get married. But they decided to wait until World War I was done so that way they didn't have to worry about Jim getting called up. But some friends of them of theirs told them that the war's winding up. You should be fine. Go ahead. So they got married. Five days later, Jim got drafted. Jim went to war. Jim got sick. Jim was in the hospital. Jim ended up becoming an entertainer for the military and never fighting at all, so war wasn't too terribly bad for him. When he got back, him and Marion decided to head up to Chicago and try their luck. And, after doing a handful of other radio shows, they eventually settled on Fibber McGee and Molly. Fibber McGee and Molly ran for 24 years, from 1935 to 1959. And no matter where they went, throughout this world, and how many years they were in Hollywood and California, they always considered Peoria home. And in those 24 years, they did 1,611 episodes. That's a lot of episodes. I might have to store them up and put them in my hallway closet. Funny, McGee. Anyway, that's enough for me. And enjoy Project Audion's Fibber McGee and Molly. Hi, I'm Larry Groby with the Generic Radio Workshop in Dallas, Texas. Before we listen to the show, I'd like you to meet Robert L. Mills in California. Hi, Robert. How are you? Hi, hi Larry. How are you? Glad to be I'm on your show. great, thanks. You know, the Fibber McGee script that Project Audion is going to be performing in just a few minutes, Robert wrote this script. Well, now, you don't look old enough to have possibly written radio shows for Jim and Marion Jordan. So, Tell me about this. So I was I was just old enough to listen to Fibber McGee and Molly, which I did as a kid. Started listening. I was trying to figure the other day uh, when that probably was. Probably was about I must have been uh, seven or maybe eight. Uh, nineteen forty. I was born nineteen thirty seven. So uh, they they were well along by that time. And uh, when I first started hearing them and all the rest of the the radio people who were on at the time i just got so enamored of all of them uh we turned the radio on big stromberg carlson was one of the popular makes you know mm -hmm. and everybody had 
or a big radio with a, a good sized speaker. So the, the whole family would be listening to these shows and usually laying on the floor in the living room. And it was uh, brought the family together and uh, they laughed together. And uh, these people consequently became like members of the family. They just, uh, they were like, you know, your old uncle uh, Fibber and Aunt Molly and all the rest of them. You know, what surprises me is how many people today below a certain age have never even heard of some of these stars. And I don't think they quite understand just how big some of these people and shows really were. Radio didn't last all that long. I mean, it was like 20, 25, 30 years. And then it gradually petered out. And I think some of the last shows were like in the 50s, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it, it didn't last a terrific amount of time. But while it was uh, going and before television came and, and just finished it off, uh, it was the major source of, of uh, entertainment for everybody. Fibber McGee and Molly, I mean, that ran for over 20 years, something like 1,600 episodes. It also spawned some of the first spinoffs, uh, The Beulah Show and The Great Gildersleeve. Who was behind all this? <laughs> well, the remarkable thing about uh, Fibber and Molly, very different from most shows like uh, the Jack Benny program, had writers in number of about oh, five or six, uh, same guys that he liked and he kept them over the years. But strangely enough, uh, Fibber and Molly, they were uh, vaudeville comedians and they'd been in vaudeville for years. And they knew a writer that had done some sketches for them named Don Quinn. And Don Quinn didn't like Hollywood or anything about it. He lived in Santa Barbara, which is just up the road a piece here. And so what he used to do when they sold the, the show to the network, uh, Quinn would actually write each script every week himself. Wow. And they would leave it to him. They trusted him because they'd worked with him for so long to come up with characters, new characters and things, you know. They never had any meetings or anything. And then uh, he'd drive back to Santa Barbara, get the hell out of Hollywood, you know. So that went on for years. And I, I look at, I have a book uh, of all the Fibber and Molly shows and how much material it was and how much work it took to grind that stuff out week after week after week. But that's why it was so consistent. And that's why the quality was always there. So Don Quinn was kind of a, a one-man band for writers. Now you, your career has been spent in large part as one of a select group of writers for one of the greatest comic personas of the 20th century. That's Bob Hope. My goodness, you're one of Bob Hope's gag writers. This is so cool. Tell me about this. Well, we had a lot of fun with him, I have to say. I I worked for him uh, as a writer on his staff from 1977 to 1992 when he stopped doing television. He did a few more uh, tribute shows and things like that, but he was really getting up there in age by then. But I was with him during those peak years when he was really doing some fabulous uh, shows. And we went all over the world uh, with the, the show because... Texaco and uh, NBC wanted him to uh, 
uh, put more variety into the show. So they, they wanted him to hire a different producer for each show and uh, shoot the, in a lot of foreign countries. So we went to China, believe this, Larry, in 1979, we were in China and we spent a month there shooting a three hour special. And you were working with them as a writer. Uh, you were with them. In fact, he used to say, my writers are with me more than my wife. So <laughs> I was just uh, thinking the other day how uh, I write for radio easily because it comes to me easily because I wrote for radio the whole time I was working for Bob Hope and television, because when you really analyze it, Bob Hope sketches were just uh, radio sketches that they took pictures of. Right. Uh, you know, uh, they were joke driven. In fact, you know, that's when you're trying to get as many laughs as you can and just set up laugh, set up laugh. But I just had a knack for it. And people say, where did that come from? And I think it comes from being a class clown, first of all. And I analyze it. Why? Why? How was I a class clown? What do class clowns actually do? What they do is they think a nanosecond ahead of what's going to happen so that they've got some smart ass remark and get your laugh. And once you get a laugh from a big room of people, you're hooked. Once you develop the ability to do that, uh, actually all comedy writing is, is uh, thinking of smart ass remarks and writing them down. <laughs> and then people throw money at you <laughs> if they're the right remarks for the right people. And to get a little bit meta about things, you've actually written a book about your career as a writer uh, for The Bob Hope Show. It's a good book, too. It's called The Laugh Makers. I can recommend it. I did. I did. I thought this was so interesting. I want to pass on my tricks, you know. But you see me there. Uh, I'm sitting right next to yeah, the, I'll, I'll the cut right hand of God there. That mm -hmm. was taken about 1978. And uh, that was a staff of writers uh, that we had at the time. That's probably about the most writers that he had the whole time I was with him. And a lot of those guys aren't on the staff. They're hired for that particular show we were working on. It was fun working for him because he'd be calling you all, all the time. Um, topical means things are happening every day. So as soon as something would happen, the phone would ring. You think we can do this? And I'd say, well... Let's let's give it a day for people to hear about it. They'll think you're making it up, you know. So uh, but it it was just a, a strange way to make a living. And I have to say, uh, fun. I hand it to my wife to live like that and have him calling all the time. But uh, <laughs> I've got so, some jokes about that, too. But we don't have that much time to know. Well, The Laugh Makers is available through Bear Manor Media. I think that's your publisher on that one. Uh, what are you up to these days? Yeah, I keep busy. You know, I, I'm a teacher of comedy uh, for an outfit called uh, Udemy, U-D-E-M-Y. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the largest uh, online instructional platform in the world. I have a lot of clips that I show as, as examples as I'm talking about the principles. Uh, I'm, my theory is that comedy is, uh, is enduring and over time too, because the basics stay the same. It's just the references change. So once you learn the basics, 
the old timers called it laying pipe. You just, there's, it's this craft. It's like uh, plumbing or carpentry or anything else. And so you learn some tricks. And, and over the years, I, I learned a lot of tricks from the old timers about uh, how to present comedy and how to structure it in the, in the most effective way. So circling back around, you got to hear a lot of these shows growing up. You pretty much absorbed Fibber McGee and Molly as a kid and all these other old shows, and that gave you the background to write this script that we're going to hear now. Yes, uh, and I, I wrote it solely because I thought, you know, uh, it's not going to be too much longer where all of these people just be forgotten. And how how can I contribute to maybe uh, keep me around a little longer? So I put him in this <laughs> this retirement home and uh, and wrote the script as a tribute to uh, all of the shows. Well, Robert, it has been wonderful to spend a few minutes with you. We're going to listen to your script right now as some of the Project Audion people perform it. Would you like to uh, set the scene for set us? Set the scene. Well, uh, you know, uh, uh, Carla Wilcox, a member of the cast and longtime announcer, uh, tells us about the uh, the long-term facility that the gang is living in. And then we, we join uh, Fibber and Molly at, at 79 Wistful. Well, they're not at 79 Wistful Vista anymore because they live in this, this new plush condo. But uh, he's looking for his old tuxedo, which uh, he needs that night because they're going to be uh, among the honored guests at a gala uh, marking the 75th anniversary. But I, I really enjoyed doing that script, and I, I uh, appreciate uh, Audion uh, recreating it, Larry, and I want to hand you my, uh, my grateful appreciation for uh, reading it and deciding to do it. Well, thank you for making it available to us. And now, Robert L. Mills and I will be pulling up a chair in front of the large speaker of our imaginary floor model Stromberg Carlson radio from the late 1940s. And with you, we're going to tune into a very special tribute episode to Fibber McGee and Molly. The Johnson Wax Company presents Fibber McGee and Molly. It's been a while since our last visit to 79 Wistful Vista, and that's simply because, well, the McGees haven't lived there for three quarters of a century. Along with their fellow radio legends, they are now residents of Forever Afterland, an exclusive long-term, extended-stay resort and retirement villa. The posh facility was built by their sponsors as insurance. They figured if television didn't catch on, the talent would still be readily available. There's a Diamond Anniversary Gala at the Elks Club tonight, and among the honored guests will be our two stars, Fibber McGee and Molly. Nabbit, Molly, I can't find my old tuxedo. I even looked in that old trunk in the attic. Well, when did you wear it last, dearie? Uh, let's see. I guess it was that summer I marched Beulah down the aisle when she married Rochester, and Benny had to start ironing his own pants again. 
<laughs> well, luckily, he remembered how from vaudeville. Oh, that was such a lovely wedding. Yeah. But you know, to this day, Jack has never forgiven us for introducing them. Yeah, we lost our maid and he lost his valet. Serves him right, the old skinflint. The nerve of that guy renting them his Maxwell for the honeymoon. <laughs> then someone tied shoes to the rear bumper and it fell off. <laughs> Those clodhoppers belong to Don Wilson, size 18s. <laughs> oh, speaking of nerve, you know they built this geriatric Geritol palace just to keep us old-timers on the bench in case television didn't deliver. Well, did it? The jury's still out. The way it's going, we could be living here... Well, I guess that's why it's called Forever Afterland, ain't it? <laughs> well, you have to admit, Derry, we've had some great times and collected some wonderful memories living here. Ah, oh, yeah, we have. Oh, oh, like that time Bergen and I tried to get Charlie McCarthy a driver's license. <laughs> Remember that? He was fine behind the wheel, but flunked the eye test. <laughs> would have guessed Edgar was nearsighted. <laughs> We'd have gotten away with it, but Ed's eyelids moved more than his lips. <laughs> ah, but you're right, kiddo. We have collected a trunk full of memories living in this Aspen for arthritics. Oh, remember that night we all went over to Duffy's Tavern to watch W.C. Fields demonstrate trick shots at the pool table? Yeah, those weren't the only shots he made disappear. <laughs> Duffy had to call beefeaters in for backup. Ah... Uh, what a night. I can still see Phil Harris dancing to Charleston on the bar with Kate Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Before it collapsed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, wasn't that the same year you challenged Molly Goldberg and Mrs. Nussbaum to a matzo ball making contest? <laughs> you had to mention that. I was set up. How was I supposed to know it was Passover? We didn't celebrate it in Peoria. But as I recall, you did much better the following winter when you bet Fred Allen that he couldn't board an airplane without being charged extra for the bags under his eyes. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're right there, kiddo. He paid reluctantly, but later forgave me like a true gentleman. Why exactly? Well, he broke even. He had Senator Claghorn with him, and the airline discounted their tickets because of the extra tailwind. <laughs> Oh, heavenly days, it's getting late. We just have to find that tux. I'm going to look for it upstairs, dearie. Well, look for my Amos and Andy cufflinks, too. I think I left them in the pocket. Ah, <sighs> there goes a good kid. Sticks with me through thick and thin. Speaking of thick, I hope the old tux still fits. Now, who could that be? Come in. Hiya, mister. What you doing, mister? We're looking for my lost tuxedo, Teeny. Oh, bet you I know where you lost it, I bet you. Oh, you do, huh? Where? Oh, in the back room of Hurricane's Plumbing, Rooter, and Storm Drains. Really? And how, may I inquire, did it get there? Oh, I bet you you wore it to the game. The game? What game? Oh, the poker game Hurricane hosts every Saturday night that Mommy says Daddy loses his shirt during every Saturday night. Every week? Oh, without fail. Betcha you, you need the tuxedo for tonight's Diamond Jubilee Gala. 
75 years? Well, well, that's a long time, I betcha. <laughs> well, you never seem to get any older. In fact, Mrs. McGee and I were just recalling some of the old times. Oh, like the night I won the Halloween costume contest dressed as Honey Boo Boo? <laughs> I bet you look just like her, too. Oh, yeah. But the following year, I went as Baby Snooks and lost out to Henry Aldridge, who went as Walter Denton from Almas Brooks. <laughs> well, that must have been some costume. Oh, it was. It even fooled Miss Brooks. <laughs> well, well, now I think the judges just wanted to get rid of me in my Baby Snooks costume. Get rid of you? Why? Well... I was wearing a real diaper. <laughs> well, second place is nothing to sneeze at, you know. <laughs> Didn't even get to sniffle. <laughs> I came in third. Aww. Second place went to Mortimer Snurd, who was dressed as Grandpa Walton. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. Did I hear you're performing at the gala tonight? Oh, that's right, Mr. McGee. I'm doing my magic act. Oh, regular pin and teller, huh? Pin and who? Teller. Teller. Well, why should I tell her? I don't even know her. <laughs> no, 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 Teeny. Pin and teller are magicians. Would you believe it? So am I. And what amazing feat of prestidigitation will you be dazzling us with? Oh, my biggie, Mr. McGee. See, I bring out my little brother and proceed to saw him right in half. Wow, sounds fascinating. Oh, it's even more fascinating watching me try to put him together again. <laughs> See you there. Teeny from across the street. Seems like you miss her every time. Hmm. Uh, did you locate my monkey suit? No, and I went through that whole bag of clothing I was collecting for St. Olaf's. Uh, just as well. It wouldn't look good with my sandals anyway. But I did find this vote for Gracie lapel pin you always liked so much. But every time George spots me wearing it, I have to listen to eight bars of I'd love to call you Rosie, but Rosie fades away. Come in! Why, it's Doc Gamble. Come in, Doctor. Well, if it isn't the Nostradamus of Nebutal himself, what happened? They canceled the crutch convention? That's enough, McGee. I just wanted to make sure that you had a ride to the gala tonight. Ah, that's, that's nice. That's nice of you, Doctor. Very nice. But we've already got it covered, Valium Vendor. Our sponsor, Jackson's Johnson's Wax, whoever they are, thinks so much of us, they're sending over a limousine so we can sit in the back and wave at the crowd. Oh, I'm impressed, McGee. With your high cholesterol, I figured the next time you were in the back of a limo, you'd be horizontal, surrounded by flowers. Horizontal. <laughs> right now, Doctor, we're looking high and low for his tuxedo. Without it, we may have to celebrate our Diamond Jubilee in the limo. 
Say, you got any patients, size 42 regular, that you made sure won't have a need for formal wear in the hereafter? What are you insinuating, lard belly? You dried up old capsule cruncher, I... Uh, oh, boys, uh, boys, break it up before one of you says something you'll regret. Or even worse, something that doesn't get a laugh. <laughs> well, my... <laughs> we were just recalling some of the crazy things that's happened to us over the past 75 years. You worry about your laughs and I'll take care of mine, accordion chin. <laughs> Stick to the script, scalpel scraper. Uh, where were we? Oh, yeah. At that time, you shared office space with Dr. Christian just to save rent. I resent that, McGee. Saving rent had nothing to do with it. Did you join forces with him so you could offer the public more complete health care services, doctor? Not exactly, Molly. Uh, we... Well, he had more up-to-date magazines in his waiting room. <laughs> oh, oh, you can say that again. Your Saturday evening posts were so old, Benjamin Franklin had a full head of hair and no glasses. <laughs> oh, you know, my fondest memory is of you, Doctor, delivering Wistful Vista's 500th baby on the Today Show. Oh, the first time a doctor ever slapped a baby and the kids slapped back. Just my luck. Rocky Balboa picks Wistful Vista as his birth birthplace. Uh, well, I'm off. I'll be at table 12. I never tell you about my brief but pugnacious foray into the world of professional pugilistics as one punch Pulaski, the pride of Peoria? No. Well, I shall obliterate that oversight without further ado. You see, Molly, I was born with a left hook that was once described as quick as lightning and more powerful than an endorsement from Arthur Godfrey. <laughs> and who described it as such? Well, me, of course. I'm closest to it. <laughs> Anyways, instead of making money hand over fist, I decide to make my fists hand over money. How many bouts did you win? Uh, none. Glass jaw. Glass head. Soon as the bell rang for round one, I was suddenly closer to the canvas than Van Gogh. I was seeing more stars than Hedda Hopper. I was losing more blood than an absent-minded Red Cross nurse. I was... Oh, just in time. Before you're killed. Come in. Hello, folks. Why, it's Mr. Wimple. Did I overhear you two uh, looking for a duck? A whole flock of them just landed over on Cooley Lake. Uh, no, 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 Wimp. It's my old tux we're looking for. A tux? Well, Sonny, that's a whole different kettle of haberdashery. Worst tux disaster I ever saw was an accordion player whose cummerbund got tangled up in his bellows and he almost strangled himself. <laughs> oh, 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 playing the star-strangled banner, I bet. Ain't funny, McGee. <sighs> what you got for us there, Wimp? Well, since I was in the neighborhood anyway, Mr. Gildersleeve asked me to deliver your water bill. Why didn't little Leroy run it over like he usually does? Well, he's working this week as an extra on Game of Thrones. <laughs> Give a kid a bow and arrow and stardom soon beckons. How is old Gildy? I haven't seen him since the two of us cleaned out the kingfish at the Mystic Knights of the Sea Lodge playing Parcheesi. Mr. Gildersleeve's all excited. He's planning to announce his engagement to Lila Ransom at the banquet tonight. Again? He's broken more engagements than a vaudevillian with a bad memory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, will you be at the gala tonight, Mr. Wimple? 
Uh, we wouldn't miss it, Mrs. McGee. I even bought Sweetie Face, uh, that's my mean old wife, a brand new dress just for the occasion. How thoughtful of you. I'm sure she'll be thrilled. That remains to be seen. It's three sizes too small, and when she tries to squeeze herself into it, I'm hoping the heavy-duty elastic waistband I ordered snaps her silly. (laughs) (laughs) See you at the banquet. Say, 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 did I ever tell you about the time I was a senior shift supervisor of an entire section of suspender snappers at a Sears service center in Saranac? No. Well, when I wasn't supervising the snappers, I was separating, sectioning, sorting, snipping, strapping, and stamping small samples for shipping to our sales facility in central Cincinnati. Or was it southern Sarasota? Anyways, I remember... Come in. Howdy, bud. in time, old-timer. I was just telling Molly about the time I was supervising a squad of Sears suspender. That ain't the way I heard it, Sonny. The way I heard it was a beautiful milkmaid is asked direction by a farmer who's taking his pig and his chicken to market. Which market, Mr. Old-timer? It don't matter none, daughter. Any old market will do. Well, I'm sure the chicken and pig didn't agree with that. <laughs> agree to what? Which market? I'm sure they both wanted to go to a good home. Uh, don't matter. It's a dinner table they're headed for. <laughs> Anyways, Beller says, can you tell me how to get to Somerville? Ah, oh, great little town. We played there on the Keith circuit, remember, Molly? Sure do. But I don't recall a market there, though. Okay, forget Somerville. Make, make it Grand Forks. Much better. I do remember a market there. Nice one, too. Anyways, where was I? Uh, Peg and the chicken were walking the last mile. Uh, Oh, oh, yes. So the milkmaid says, I could show you a shortcut across the cornfield, but then we'd be all alone out there. Uh, How tall was the corn? Who cares how tall it was? (laughs) Well, I'm sure the farmer did. (laughs) Okay, make... Make the corn as high as an elephant's eye. Oh, now I get it. They're in Oklahoma. <laughs> as good as any state, I guess. Good enough to make a musical out of. Oh, the suspense is palpable, old-timer. What happened next? Well, the feller says, I'm carrying a pig under one arm and a chicken under the other. How can I take advantage of you? And the milkmaid says, well, you could put the pig in the bucket. And I could hold the chicken. (laughs) So long, Sandy. You know, Molly, there there is one place I haven't looked. Oh, no, not the closet, dearie. I'm sure it's in here somewhere. Let me just take a peek and I'll find out. closet one of these days. Hey, hey, look, Molly, there it is, right where I left it, hanging on my canoe paddle. Oh, look at the time, McGee. That limousine will be here in less than an hour. Sure hope it still fits. Now, where did I leave that shoehorn?
Claudette's has never looked better on you. <laughs> Thanks, kiddo. And you look prettier than Claudette Colbert hitchhiking in It Happened One Night. The only thing that could go wrong now is if we end up seated between the Bickersons. <laughs> or the Wimples. Mm. Oh, I think I just heard the limousine pull up. Come in. Why, it's Harlow Wilcox. Ah, they said they were sending over a limo, not their crusader for eradicating waxy yellow buildup. I think you look very handsome in that chauffeur's cap, Harlow. Thank you, Molly. I'm honored to be driving you and Mr. McGee to the gala. And Johnson's Wax also asked me to deliver a special message. For us? Well, how nice of them. Gee, a sponsor with a heart. Someone call Walter Winchell. No, really. On behalf of your audience... They want to thank you both for the hours of sheer pleasure you've given folks over the years. I'm sure you know it was mutual, Harlow. We may have made them laugh, but they kept us young. <laughs> She's right, Waxy. Can you believe this is the same tux I wore when we opened at the palindrome in 29? <laughs> <laughs> That's hippodrome, dearie. A palindrome is a word spelled the same backward and forward. You sure? I thought a palindrome was a good friend who lives in Italy. <laughs> No, McGee. That's a pal in Rome. Oh, um, well, since I don't have one, let us, let us not interrupt you, oh, silver-tongued guru of glowcoat, you were saying? Well, actually, I was about to point out that Fibber McGee and Molly are ageless. Ageless? How do you figure that? Simple, McGee. You both will be very much alive until the last person who ever heard you on the air passes away. And that won't happen for a good long time yet. In fact, I'm sure you'll be around to celebrate Forever After's 100th anniversary. That's a wonderful compliment, Harlow. But if we don't hurry, we'll miss this one. And on that note, I think it's time we said goodnight, dearie. Good night, folks. McGee and Molly is written by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie, with additional dialogue by Robert L. Mills. The show is heard by our armed forces overseas through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Network. I'm Harlow Wilcox. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Project Orion. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you'll tell your friends about it. Share us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or your favorite social media. We're very social, so please contact us at projectaudion at gmail.com. And once again, thanks for listening. Hello, I'm John Bell of Bells in the Bat Free. It's a comedy podcast. Fridays and every other Sunday. Well, anyway, back in episode five of Bells in the Bat Free, we introduced the cowlets, tiny little cows. Where did all these cats come from? They're not cats, they're cows, and they're heading toward the water cooler. Stop it before...
Now you can display your love of these tiny cows with genuine Cowlick t-shirts. You know what's really fun to do with these shirts? Get a whole bunch of people to buy them. Then you all gather together and run down the street. People will see these cowlicks coming toward them and think it's a stampede. You think that would really work, Brad? Shh, I'm pushing for bulk sales here. You can also get Cowlick mugs, clocks, and other items. Just go to thebatfree.com and click on shop. This is a limited time offer. No, it's not. You just do not understand advertising, do you? Get your merchandise today with the official Cowlick design created by Jeff Music. Buying lots of them would bring music to my ears. Oh, stop. Stop. 